You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkins, a writer for Winnie City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, I mean, some things happened in that last Bears game. I don't know if we'll talk about those, but we've got to talk about the Lions. We've got an amazing guest that's going to bring some really cool information. But how are you doing? Better. Uh, <laughs> You've recovered? We are more, we are more removed uh, from Sunday yeah, that was it was not a pleasant experience, and and we will talk about it a little bit. But we're we're going to talk about a, a forward future look. Uh, if you're a Bears fan, you've probably had quite enough of Sunday at this point uh, during the week. But we're gonna we're gonna move forward a little bit, and then we'll we'll take a quick peek in the way back machine. But we gotta we gotta have some beers before we do that. Uh, I'll introduce our guest. We'll get to our beers, and then we're going to get right into it. But a friend of mine from from Draft Twitter, if you want to call that an, an official club, guys who work, I have tremendous respect for. Today we have Kent Lee Platt, known as Math Bomb on Twitter, creative of the Relative Athletic Score, commonly known as RAS, which is uh, really common currency in in draft circles these days. And he also happens to be a Lions fan, which is the intersection that brings him onto the show today. But Kent, how are you doing? Fantastic, man. Glad to be on. Well, we're super glad to have you because it's always fun to talk to folks that are uh, entrenched with other local teams. But again, we've got beverages and, you know, you brought up Sunday, JB, so I think it's fair game. Um, I'm still seeing red a little bit from Sunday. So I brought uh, Ridgetop Red from Silver City Brewing right up in Paulsboro, Washington. Great beer. Love the beer. Not going to hold that against uh, Matt Nagy, but I will hold everything else against him. What do you have? Well, I was going to bring on a Founders, uh, you know, KBS or CBS or whatever, you know, Canadian Breakfast Out. But I, I decided on something a little different, and I have been playing with this bottle. So I'm going to show it to the screen oh, for our yes. viewers. Oh. So this is Mr. Black Cold Brew Coffee Liqueur, right? So they have a contest going on right now. So I'm trying to perfect oh. a recipe so that, that I'm going to like submit. And in honor of Motor City Dan Campbell, uh, who's shared his Starbucks order, which is like two venti tall whatever coffees heart, with heart two, topping with yeah. two espresso shots each i figured i'd bring this on so this is what it looks like and okay. this is what i'm working on so i put two parts of the mr black liqueur one part of michter's bourbon mm-hmm. and one part of bronca menta which is the oh, mint yeah, version yeah, yeah. of fernet bronca and it gives, and then I, I put a little coffee creamer in it. Um, we use an oat milk creamer in my house. That's why it's lighter colored. Okay. And I'm just trying to make like a like a nice coffee. It, it, it's a minty, refreshing iced coffee with a heck of a kick because that extra shot of bourbon. 
and you can't really taste the bourbon. I mean, it gives some of those notes in there. Um, and then you get that mint and then the depth from the Bronca Menta because of all of the aromatics that are involved in that. And then it's a really good coffee liqueur that's not super sweet. Like Kahlua is super sweet. This is not. And then that creamer gives it a little bit of creaminess, obviously, and a little bit of a different mouthfeel. Um, I've been playing with it. I've been tweaking it. It's a simple recipe, but I am standing by it. I think it's fantastic. There's, there's so many things you can do with that drink, man. I've, I've got, I've got some recipes for you. I oh, can, sure. I can, send, I can send them to you afterwards. That that's you're in for a treat. If you're looking at different ways to enjoy that. I am. And I, I was trying to just create a drink because they, they're, they're starting a contest, I think right now. And I thought, well, I'll throw something in. I like to mix up my own drinks and try to play with stuff and we'll see if something happens. But I also had that bottle of Bronca Menta that I've been playing with. I and mean, I putting in a lot of like ginger type, you know, ginger ale, ginger, ginger beer, and then trying to play with it that way. And that's been really good. And I've enjoyed that over the summer, but I had, you know, this much left in the bottle. And I thought, I think I could put these two together and start to create something. And, and there's something here. This is a, this is a thing. I like the mad science approach of, of all the things you drink, JB. Like, I think I would drink that because there's nothing in there that I don't like. And I've definitely played with uh, cold brew coffee liqueurs. We have a couple in the house. Um, the Jameson's cold brew version uh, I've put in Irish coffees, which is fantastic. It's like coffee, coffee, whiskey. So that I think. I think I would drink that, which there are many things you bring on the show that I'm like, I would not drink that. So you, this you is, play this that is... angle so much that I'm bringing on these like peanut butter, raspberry tart beers or something. And yes, occasionally I bring on a pastry stout because they're delicious, but it's not like I only drink that. There have been plenty of variety of beers that I brought on. My wife, when we walk down the beer aisle, <laughs> points at certain things and goes, that's a JB beer. And I'm like, you're right. So, you know, yeah. I'm just saying. If you're going to be perception. known for something, I guess it could be worse things. It's it's not bad. So being talk about being known for something. Kent, I love relative athletic score. I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. I think it's simple. And so that's why it's so it's elegant, right? That's why it's so effective in communicating information. You have a, a, a very... Um, pleasing visual associated with it anybody that does not uh, is not familiar with it go check him out on twitter go check out his webpage. but i want to ask you this question to start what do you feel as the developer of this what do you feel is the best application to use this as people that use it and talk about it and on the flip side what's the one thing that you when you see your work quoted or put on twitter that you're like don't use it that way yeah, it's it's one of those things, man. You know, Raz, Raz, when I started, it was all about doing things simply by, by finding an easy way to understand the testing metrics. That's why everything's on a zero to ten score or scale. That's why everything is just red, green, or or or, or yellow. It's a very simple three color system. You know, everything's meant to be outward facing so that the people that are looking at it can easily understand what it is. One of my favorite interactions that I get is when people are like, "Oh, I don't get it. It's confusing. What is it? Just." you know, like zero to 10, da, da, da. it's like, yeah, you just, you just figured it out in the tweet <laughs> where you were complaining about not understanding it. You explained it. It's, it's that simple. Um, and the fact that you can just explain it in the, within the, the character limit on Twitter. Um, but the, the best way to apply it um, from a, from a standard standpoint of, of when you're just looking at the metrics is when you're trying to project players and where they're going to be drafted, uh, not necessarily whether they're going to be good in the NFL. There's plenty of ways to use it for that also. 
Um, but looking at draft position in general, Raz is really good for that. Guys who have really good testing metrics tend to go higher in the draft. Guys that don't tend to not. Even at positions where it doesn't really make all that much sense, like quarterback. Um, with, until uh, Jameis Winston, there hadn't been a quarterback drafted in the first round that had a Raz below five. And Jameis Winston wasn't that far below. Um, since then, Baker Mayfield um, was also below average, but we've before him, James Winston wasn't drafted all that long ago. And until that point, teams just never took below average athletes at quarterback. Um, there's only one running back that's been drafted in the first round since 1987, which is Mark Ingram, that had a below average score. There has never been a tight end drafted in the first round who had a below average score. And there's only a couple of, of second round tight ends that had a below average score. Um, it's really good for uh, finding correlations between NFL success and, and the players testing. Um, there's, there's this mindset that people try to get them, they talk themselves into, right? Higher score means higher draft pick means better player. And it's, it's really backwards because you tend to look at it from a, 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 a trend analysis standpoint as good player probably tested well rather than test well, probably good player. Um, and that's a difficult mindset to get yourself into. Uh, one of the ways that I hate that it gets used, and and people do because it's just it's just how the numbers work. You know, everything everything sounds better, but I I don't like player comps in general. Um, I say that having just recently posted an actual compare page where you can compare guys side by side. <laughs> um, but I do, I don't like the concept of doing a comparison straight up for any player. Um, I think I, I break everything down into traits. So from a Raz perspective, it's great to look at a guy and be like, yeah, he, he runs about the same speed as, you know, DK Metcalf run a 4-3-3. You know, that's that's great. But not everybody that runs a 4-3-3 is going to be DK Metcalf. Almost no one who runs a 4-3-3 is going to be Metcalf because they're not that big. They don't have that long, those long arms. They don't have that type of explosiveness. Most guys that run that type of speed are Will Fuller. They're a smaller guy who tends to be a little bit more fragile and deal with, with injuries and stuff in the NFL, but smaller guys that they work on their speed, they work on that type of athletic trait. Those are what those guys usually run, but you get it every year where there's always a guy that tests poorly. And this is where I, I don't like where it gets used. A guy will test poorly and then they'll immediately compare him to another successful player who tested poorly. Um, the, the mistake there is thinking that poor metrics is a positive trait. Right. And you are now comparing that guy too. Um, everybody wants to be the next Anquan Bolden. They want to find the next Jarvis Landry. Well, Jarvis Landry was injured at the time of his testing. He had a hamstring injury. He tested on it anyway. He tested better at his pro day. Still bad, but like normal bad, not worst in NFL <laughs> not, history bad. Not terror bad. Um, yeah. his, his score, I believe it's a 0.07 or something like that. Some, oh, wow. Out of 10, out of 2000 receivers, he was like bottom 10 or something like that. Just some absurd number. Um, but you don't, it doesn't tend to be that way. And guys like Anquan Bolden, Anquan Bolden didn't win in as a player because he was fast or explosive. He won because when the ball was in the air, that was Anquan Bolden's football. And you had to beat Anquan Bolden for it. And most people just couldn't do that. And those types of comparisons don't work straight up. Yep. They, they just don't work as a straight up comparison. 
Yeah, I find that fascinating. I think it's an interesting uh, thing that you've put together. And now that you've been doing it so long, and now you've gotten it out there enough that people are starting to use it, that they're starting to go back and compare and say like, well, this guy succeeded despite this, you know, and it's like, you have to, so EJ is a film guy. He's he, he grinds film, grinds film. But this, what you do, combined with all the work that EJ does and people like EJ, that allows you to to paint a better picture of what a prospect looks like, about what a class looks like. And so it's it, this is a really nice way to marry the the measurables with the the film. And so the fact that you two are talking and are combining on this, that's just going to make us be better as a fan community yeah. understanding going into drafts. Absolutely. And, and you can't have one without the other. Um, right. Mathematically speaking, I always love to point this out because it just makes me feel better. But like <laughs> mathematically speaking, if you're going to go based on on film or metrics, your your numbers are better if you just go by the metrics. Uh, that doesn't mean that's the only approach you should take. And it's not a good approach. You should never just go by testing metrics because you're going to miss a lot of really good players, really good players. You're just going to miss out on because you're going to just ignore them because oh, the numbers don't say I should like them. Um, you have to be able to pay attention to the tape as well and be able to point those traits out on tape because the numbers don't mean anything if you don't know what they, that means on tape. Um, we always like to talk about arm length and offensive linemen. And, you know, arm, arm length matters. It just, it just does. NFL teams won't draft a guy as high that doesn't have long arms. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. Whether or not it matters as much as people play it up, that's something that you can argue back and forth. There's plenty of examples of players who were really good who didn't have extremely long arms. Uh, Joe Thomas was fantastic and had a below average arm length for an offensive lineman. Clearly he is a great player and it didn't really matter that much to him. Um, but you get guys like Orlando Brown who had a historically terrible combine. Um, and you probably overlook him if you're going straight by metrics. I didn't really care for his tape all that much, but I also didn't know exactly what I was supposed to be looking for on a guy like Orlando Brown. Um, and that's a miss, that's a flaw, but any, every evaluator has some, something that they're missing, something they don't understand. That's the problem with evaluating tape. Sometimes you have internal biases that you have for different things. Um, I learned a lot from Orlando Brown, mostly because he told us after he got drafted and started playing well, there was an right. interview with Orlando Brown where he talked about how he wins as a player. Um, and I don't think that part gets talked about as not enough is that when you have a guy who doesn't test well and they are self self-aware that that's a thing right orlando brown doesn't talk about himself like he's this super athlete explosive guy who's super fast or anything he talks about things he does well he talks about how he understands how players are going to come at him he knows that if he does a spin i've got to be here i've got to have myself set up this way if he's going to go for a straight bull rush i have to maintain my leverage in a certain way i have to make sure that i get my hands on him right he understands all those little nuances and then he uses the traits he does have, his size and his arm length, to win in contested situations with NFL pass rushers. That stuff's really important, and it doesn't necessarily reflect in how a player tests. And I think partly that's why we don't see a heavy correlation with NFL centers and athletic testing, because a lot of what an NFL center does isn't about being fast. It isn't about being super explosive at the line. It's about being able to point out all the different blocking assignments immediately, understanding every play and everywhere everybody's supposed to be so that you can point that out to your quarterback and the coaches to make sure everybody's on the same level. 
and about raw strength because you've got a, a nose tackle coming at you on a lot of plays. And that's only really tested with the bench. And bench is horribly effect, impacted <laughs> by arm length. Right. If, yeah. if, if it's just basic physics. It's just, yeah, you got short physics. arms? Cool. Yep. Yeah, great. Go put up 45 reps. Right. You know, it, it, it sounds really good. But if, if you have a guy who has 35-inch arms and he puts up 20 reps, 20 reps is below average by, by most accounts for an offensive lineman. But if you've got 35-inch arms and you do that, that's that's awesome. Great. Awesome showing, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's the combination of all those things is the way we all grow as evaluators. I don't care how we came in. I don't care where we end up um, or what we move to or towards. It's like opening your arms to what other people know, what they see, what they know that you don't, and then – the biggest thing for me over over the years has been learning to filter noise, right? What matters, what is a thing that's a real thing that correlates and what doesn't. And even with all of that, even with all that sort of collected learning, there's this third phase that we don't get a window into. And only in the last couple of years have I even gotten to peek through that door occasionally, which is, what coaches say about them, what their family says about them, how they show up personally in interviews. Like we don't get to see any of that word. That's the, I talk about the thirds, right? Tape is one third, what they did. Their testing and measurables is another third. And the third third is all that other stuff about what their high school coach said about their work ethic and, you know, whether or not they piss people off. And we just don't get to see that. And it makes a huge difference. As does landing spot. Landing spots, maybe oh, yeah. maybe I got to divide it into quarters now because <laughs> landing spot is so incredibly significant. But the more you can pull all these things together and then sort of sift and sort and say, nope, this really matters. This really matters. This, people say it matters, but eh, based on experience, it doesn't matter that much. When you start to be able to develop that filter, your evaluations get closer like nobody's nobody's great 30 or 35 percent is pretty good hit rate if you're if you're anywhere near that or better you're feeling pretty good about yourself which is a weird success rate in just about any industry except for maybe baseball so uh it's just about filtering out that noise and like athletic testing in in breaking down which ones are noise and which ones absolutely aren't when you can say yeah, we've tested 1,500 people and nobody below this has ever done anything. Okay, like that's a that's a pretty good test. If, if somebody tests that way and, and there's not some extenuating circumstance, injury or something else, okay, I better really like that guy. Um, yep. And even so, I'm probably not smart too because <laughs> everything says maybe not. So it's the combination of factors. I love the piece that you provide because it is easy. It is comparable. It is understandable. And you can start to pull those trends. And you've done a lot more work with that over the last three or four years and sort of bringing up those where they rank in the number of you know players tested at their position uh, over the last 10 years. That was a huge addition. And then 
I love the ability to switch positions. And a lot of people don't know that, that different positions have different thresholds and you can go up or down. And the classic one, well, maybe it's not classic. The one that really resonates with me is quarterback to tight end, right? I was one of those guys that said, Logan Thomas should be a tight end because A, he's not that great at quarterback. And everybody said, oh, give him a chance. I was like, mm, the NFL is not going to give him a chance. However, he would have he would have tested as tight end one in about two thirds of the categories that year. Um, so it's like, do you want to be the very best tight end? And he was recruited to college as a tight end. He played tight end in high school. So it wasn't like, oh, go make him learn some position he's never tried before. Um, but you you flip in Logan Thomas's number at quarterback, they're this, you flip him in at tight end, it was like, oh, okay. Um, and it's that kind of thing, that kind of filter on what you could do with talent that I think makes what you do so incredibly valuable. And it's fun. It's always fun to look <laughs> at what these guys are. You know, when when the when the Packers drafted Rashawn Gary, one of the one of the fun things we did that year was just put him at every position because he was such an absurd athlete. Sure. So we ran him at every position, including kicker. And I have like thirty five <laughs> kickers in the database that I actually tested. Yeah. But it you know it's it's fun to go look at that kind of stuff. I want to yeah. know if Pat O'Donnell. Uh, tested well because he's oh good old mega punt yeah he's he's a strapping punter that that's a well uh, and a hell of a tackler like part of his highlight tape it's not very often he had some hits that punters lay hits in college and it shows up on their tape and o'donnell was one of those guys laid people out and it was like oh so he's not the little he's a i mean he's a big guy too like i want to transition to the lions and you said like 33% 33% success rate. And I was thinking, what would that be in football? And I was like, I don't know, maybe kicks over 60 yards. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, honestly, though, just, you know, Tech, I, Tucker, that was I gotta an amazing jump back. kick. I got to yeah. jump back to Pat O'Donnell for a second because oh, I, yeah. I don't have him in the database, but I do have his numbers. I just don't have it added. Oh, so okay. I, I will get that ran for you. Awesome. We'll, we'll post <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So obviously make it a little bit of a joke at the Lions expense because they lost on a heartbreaker on a 66 yard field goal, the longest field goal in NFL history to the best field goal history, uh, field goal kicker in history. Justin Tucker's awesome. That had to sting, but we're going to get into this. Like, is that really the worst thing in the world for the Lions this year? Because maybe you do want to kind of stack the losses, but I want to start here. Caffeinated football guy, Dan Campbell. This hire was, I, I think, criticized by a lot of people. Um, I, I think that, that he became kind of a joke pretty quick in terms of here's this this Neanderthal-type football guy, and you hired him to be the head coach. What are, we, what are you doing? But he's and, and he's incredibly entertaining. I've written about him uh, in my <laughs> 10 Thoughts column like three times already. Like I've only had the column for like six weeks because I find him fascinating, and he gives amazing sound bites. So tell me from a Lions fan perspective, is this actually a good hire? Is he is what he's doing, bringing in a lot of these interesting position coaches? Is there something here? So when he got hired and he came in and did his initial press conference, uh, it was really important for Lions fans more than anybody else. A lot of the things that he said, he talked about how he wanted to build the roster um, how he wanted to build the team back, how he wasn't going to sit here and tell us that it was going to be a, a quick turnaround or anything. All the stuff that we not necessarily wanted to hear, but stuff Lions fans really needed to hear. 
Um, he talked about trying to make things fun again. Matt Patricia was a bad coach, but he was also a jerk. Um, he was very rude to the media. He wasn't very good with fans. He made training camp uncomfortable a lot of times. He wasn't fun at all. And then when you have a bad product, it's just not enjoyable. Um, there was a great stuff from a football standpoint in his initial press conference, too. He talked about the importance of mobility at the quarterback position, the types of quarterback that he wants to get at the court, at the NFL position. He talked about all the different positions on defense. He talked about the, the advantages of, of special teams and trying to keep that strong. And then he talked about eating kneecaps. Yeah, biting kneecaps. Let's and go. That was it at that point. Right. Um, it, nothing else mattered from a national perspective. And it's it's frustrating at times as a Lions fan when you have this great press conference and then that moment. Now, I've been writing about football for over a decade now. So when that moment happened, I was like, you, oh. You knew. Ah, you instantly that's it. Yeah. That's the only thing. Nothing else in this whole thing matters. Um, as far as whether he's the right right hire, it it really looks a lot better than the numbers will tell you right now. Um, Matt Patricia got blown out badly in his in his first opening um, against the New York Jets. Got destroyed, absolutely crushed. Um, the team looked like it didn't know what it was doing. It was very disorganized. In his second year, he started to pull things together, and most of the Lions games were very close. They were leading in the fourth quarter of almost every game um, and still lost almost every game, but they were leading. They were very close, and they were they were fighting. Um, Dan Campbell seems to really inspire his players. His players seem very much behind him. You talk about the difference between a player's coach and a scheme coach, but – um, his players seem to really fall behind him. I think having so many different position or former players on his staff is a really big boon. Um, but I think it's a lot, a lot of it has more to do with communication. He communicates really well with his players. And so does Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, and Anthony Lynn, our offensive coordinator. Um, they've done a really good job of identifying the strengths and weaknesses of the personnel that they have. And they're starting to improve at how they use those strengths and weaknesses of those players um, it's only a couple of games in and the lions have played way better than I think people expected them to, um, against the Ravens. It's a little bit different because most of that was the Ravens shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over and over, um, Marquise Brown dropped two touchdowns on his own. Um, it, it would have been a blown blowout if he hadn't have done that. Um, but all the same, it shouldn't have came down to a 66 yard field goal. It, it really shouldn't. And the fact that it did is a testament to how much that team has put together. Um, I wasn't very confident with how things started under uh, even Jim Caldwell, who started off really hot in Detroit, uh, because a lot of his flaws were still right on display. Jim Caldwell could never put a running game together. And when he first came out as the Lions, yeah, they won. They won was 11 games, 12 games, whatever it was. And their run game was still atrocious. And they backed into the playoffs. And it's like, well, this is looking exactly how everything else he's done has looked. And then when Matt Patricia was hired, like I said, he got blown out badly in his opener. And the improvements never really started to stack. Uh, with Dan Campbell, we're starting out 0-3. But the team looks like it wants to get better. And it looks like they're making the right types of decisions for a team that is rebuilding the right way. They're just so far away from being good that it's going to be a rough ride for a while. Yeah. And you mentioned that, that he led the press conference with that. And and you and uh, another noted Lions watcher, Jeff Risden said the same thing. Like 
hey, here's a lot of good information. Mm -hmm. Like he delivered a lot of salient football points that matter and that are correct and truthful. And then he said the kneecap thing. But he said before that, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's a year, right? It's not a year. This We're in a hole and it's going to be more than a year. And that's impressive. But Coach Speak is always Coach Speak. Being Chicago fans, we are uh, <laughs> in the middle of that. Yeah. Immune to Coach Speak at this point. We know that it's garbage, at least coming out of our current front office and coaching staff. But the draft spoke to me like the way they collected talent when you look down at the end of the three days and the udfa period and you went okay like they had a plan and they stuck to it they didn't grab for the shiny thing on the top shelf they said we're gonna go here we're gonna go by our board we're gonna go by value which means they're gonna stick to what campbell said in the press conference and that indicates an alignment between a coach and a gm and hopefully a philosophy, which we're going to start to see now as it plays out on the field. But that's when teams have a chance, right? That's when front offices and coaching staffs are working in synergy. They're getting the players that fit in the scheme. Coaches understand what they want, how to get those players to perform better. And they came out with a really solid haul from the draft. And that's when I sat back and said, you know, if we're talking about who had a really good draft, I realize it doesn't. It's not going to translate to a really good product on the field this year, but two, three years from now, we're going to look at that offensive line, which is young and tough and really skilled. We're going to look at that defensive line, which is, you know, they made it very clear in their first two picks. Like we're going to play this on defense. It's like, all right. And you went and got the two best guys in the draft to do that. They've got a plan. They're working from the inside out. And, you know, when they do get the quarterback that they want, that Campbell talked about in that opening press conference, they're going to put him behind one of the youngest and best lines at that point in the NFL. So those are ways to succeed. And, and the draft really sort of cemented to me, oh, it's not just coach speak. They're going to follow this plan. So mm -hmm. that was the, the most impressive part for me. And speaking of that, do you think the Lions should have taken on Jared Goff's contract um, in the trade for Matthew Stafford? Or would it have made more sense to you to trade him elsewhere and just go cheaper this year, knowing that it was a that was a gap year, that it was a, I'm not going to call it a throwaway year, but a growing year, building year, a year in which you didn't expect to be really good? I wouldn't have taken on Goff's contract or Goff the player. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of his game. You know, we talked about, about the ability to learn as an evaluator. Um, whenever I find out that I'm wrong about a player. I always try to go back and watch as much tape as I can on that player, find out what I did wrong. Um, I mentioned Orlando Brown and all the stuff I learned from, from missing on Orlando Brown because I didn't think he was going to do well. He's awesome. Um, it's things that I wasn't looking for or things that I was looking at and misconstruing how that was looking on tape. Because um, it's, it's always about projection, right? Um, when I went back and watched golf, I learned, I learned nothing. Um, back in 28, back in 2018, um, I, cause I, I wasn't very high on golf. I, I used to give round grades on quarterbacks. I don't do that anymore, but I, I gave him a third round grade. It would be a, 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 a developmental quarterback grade for me now. Um, I only have, you're either a franchise quarterback or you are not a franchise quarterback. And then I have some other classifications in that second one, but, um, he wouldn't have been, um, a lot of things I didn't really care for on him. And then he came out in 2018. He did really well. So I went back and watched all of his college tape, watched everything he did in the pros, and I learned nothing. I felt very bad about having spent the time doing that. Um, because some guys just are who they are. Some guys just are, you know, they're they're just 
if they work well in structure, they can't really do a whole lot else. And, and that's Jared, what Jared Goff is. And he's a very expensive version of that. Um, the Lions wouldn't have gotten the trade that they got without taking on Jared Goff, unfortunately. And I think they, they're concentrating more on getting the picks and trying to build the team up. Um, you saw it with how they, they have one of the worst uh, dead hit caps in the NFL for, for the salary cap because they traded Stafford away. They took on all this extra money from Jared Goff. They restructured him and took on even more. Um, they did all these different things to restructure their money. They're taking a huge cap hit, and they know that. Um, but it also points out that this is a long rebuild. This is a guy that they're going to have here where they can, they can trust him to do what they are trying to do while they're building up around him. It's not the approach I would have taken. I, I would have rather taken Justin Fields and built up around a player like Justin Fields. Um, instead, they took Panay Sewell, who's an awesome talent and hasn't allowed a sack yet. He's been doing really, really well. Um, but it's not the pick I would have made. Um, but I understand what they're doing. I, I understand the idea that they're doing. Um, you mentioned Coach Speak. They talk up Goff a lot. And Brad Holmes, the Lions current general manager, drafted Goff first overall. Um, so as long as that's Coach Speak, I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> as long as they don't believe it. Yeah. yeah. No, you see how happy Sean McVay is right now. And you know <laughs> very happy what them. Goff is. Like, yeah. you know what he knew because the piece I didn't know about that trade, and this is something I learned from one of our former guests, Jordan Rodrigue, was McVay had the strongest hand in that. Like, McVay was the guy that put that together, went to the owner, you know, with the GM, but as the as the alpha in that, scenario and said we need to do this here's why here's what i can't do and i know i can't do because i've tried we're not going to exceed this i know it's a lot but this is going to be the unlock and it was his i mean solely his knack on the line like everybody else had to say yes but it was mcveigh's idea he pushed it everybody else agreed with him and you see how happy he is now knowing that i couldn't get past this before and now i get this Right. And if if you're working with more than five yards of field, you you're opening up so many more things for the offense. And and the downside for the Lions is that's that's what we got. We got we got, we got <laughs> that's what we have for now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Rams are on a September to remember and the yeah. past now. I mean they and they're this is a honeymoon period right now. It it looks great for Stafford. I'm sure that's a little painful as a Lions fan, but maybe you can like be happy that you have set this bird free and he's <laughs> he's flying <laughs> he's flying he's flying very high and i was a stafford I, fan at georgia so I'm, I'm as much as it hurts the lions because every game he wins pushes that pick further and further down the draft chart um I, I love seeing stafford succeed and you know there's people that complain about rooting for a former player if it hurts the team nah. but stafford's a very good player always has been and now he gets to show everybody that I, I don't know. When when Bears players leave, as long as they don't put on a green jersey, a uh, green and yellow <laughs> jersey, I'm I'm going to cheer for them. If they were good players and I liked them when they were in Chicago, I mean, I'm, there's examples of guys that left. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. But, you know, you, you, you cheer for the guy. I know you cheer for the laundry, but at some point you also cheer for the guy and, and, and you cheer for these guys. So that makes a lot of sense. But EJ mentioned the good draft and you, you've, you've talked about Penny Sewell you know, who obviously is an is a incredible talent at left tackle. They kind of started him at right tackle. It wasn't really looking that good. And then because of an injury, they kicked him over to left. But I'm curious, in your opinion, this roster, I mean, I'm, I'm, I doubt you're going to say Quintus Cephas is a building block, but like, 
Who are the building blocks on this Lions team right now? So Penny Sewell, I mean, it's it's cliche to pick your recent first round pick, but I, I think the last couple of weeks he's kind of shown that he probably is that guy. He's he's going to be a franchise tackle, whether he sticks at left tackle, which I'm in the camp that says he should stay there, um, or they move him back to right tackle and he eventually gets it over there. He's clearly ready for the NFL and, and ready to play there. Um, he should be a fixture on that offensive line. Frank Ragnow, their center, is the best center in the NFL until somebody can prove to me he's not. Um, he's a fantastic center. Um, unfortunately, he got hurt this last week. I don't know what his status is coming into the game, but that's that's probably something to watch. Uh, but he's amazing. Um, other than that, they a lot of people would say DeAndre Swift. I'm not I'm not quite as high on DeAndre Swift. He's going to get a million touches this year. He's 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 healthy now. He's been performing well, and he's not even healthy. And he is now healthy. Fair warning if he does go off this week. Um, it, it helps that he has a quarterback that, that doesn't throw very far because that increases the opportunities for the running backs. Um, but I, no running back really is a fixture player on any team. They just aren't. Um, the Lions drafted Levi Anwazrike and uh, Alim McNeil on their defensive line this year, both in the second round. Um, and you know that, that, that move of going after uh, – two defensive tackles, one that's an interior pass rusher in Anzarike and a nose tackle in, in Alim McNeil. You're trying to build a type of defensive line. It's not just getting the right players. It's trying to build, okay, we're going to have an, a huge athletic nose tackle. Those are very rare. Um, I actually left our draft. I left work because I work do, covering the draft. I left to go celebrate with my Lions friends when Alim McNeil was taken. Um, I was that excited. Um, but they're, they're trying to pick up because they want to play a certain type of defense and they know they need those two types of interior players to be able to do that. And they went out and got those types of guys. Um, I think if those two players work out, that's their fixture. That's their Pat and Kevin Williams, like the Vikings used to have back in the day. That's that type of interior disruption that they can get out of that team. If those two guys work out, um, the rest of the defense is just really weak. They don't really have a lot of really good pieces there. Uh, we didn't get to see if Atu Melifanu, he got hurt in his first real game of action. Uh, Jeff Okuda tore his Achilles, which is really unfortunate because he had a whole wasted year where they did no coaching for Jeff Okuda. Um, and he started to improve and then he got hurt and it's one of the worst injuries that you can get. So it's, it's really hard to put him in that same camp. Um, but outside of those couple of people, the, the defense doesn't have a whole lot going for it. Uh, they do have Romeo Aquara that they re-signed to an extension. Um, he is a very, very good player. Um, I don't know if I would consider him a fixture player, even though he's a very good player. Kind of like Michael Brockers they brought in from, from the Rams. You know, Brockers is a really good player. Is he a fixture on your defense that you can't do without and you can never replace and you just can't do anything without him? Not, not really. He's a really good player. Um, but I don't think he's that fixture to build around. So a couple of guys on the offensive line, a couple of guys on the defensive line, there are worse ways to start. Yeah. What do you think about Hawkinson? I'm interested. I didn't mention Hawkinson, but I should have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. All right. He, he seems like he's that guy that again, he's, he's not gonna, he's not gonna ascend. He's already ascended to a certain yeah. level. He's not going to get to that sort of premium tier with Jared Goff. He could like Jared Goff liked his tight ends and threw to them quite a bit in LA, 
doesn't seem to be quite doing that. So I'm not sure he's going to go off until, you know, maybe they get that quarterback of the future, but he's right there. Like he's tickling that top five ish tight ends in the league status. And if he gets uh, both a scheme and a player that, that are comfortable, uh, I'm just going to say exploiting those matchups because he can win just about anywhere. Right. If they decide that he's going to get, anywhere near a feature role that even approaches like what Travis Kelsey does in Kansas city. He's going to, he's going to slam that top five just wide open. He's, yeah. he's that talented. Yeah, he's, he's a second tier tight end, which sounds bad, but until you realize, <laughs> until you realize how big the gap is between that top tier, which is just Kelsey Waller and Kittle. Right. right. And then it's everybody else. Um, the gap between that first tier and second tier is massive. And that second tier is full of a lot of really good players. You know, Mark Andrews, yep. TJ Hawkins, <laughs> and guys like that that are really, really good, but they are nowhere near that top tier. Um, Hawkinson's in that second tier. Um, it's going to be really tough, like you said, for him to get those opportunities because the Lions don't have any wide receivers that can exploit any other matchups, which means anywhere beyond the middle of the field, they're just covering Hawkinson. They're not paying a whole lot of attention to Quentin Cephas. They're not paying attention to kick returner Khalif Raymond, who's their current top receiver as a kick return returner. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not they're not paying attention to those guys because they don't they don't offer the same level of threat. They don't offer the same level of of after the catch ability. Um, they're not as difficult to cover. So they're paying a lot of attention to Hawkinson on anything more than a couple of yards. Yeah, and limiting explosive plays is such a big deal. I I think a lot of fans undersell limiting explosive plays, and there's not that many guys on the Lions offense that are going to create explosive plays, and Hawkinson is one. He's a guy that can pick up yardage in chunks over 20, and so if you double him up, get a guy over the top, cap him off, keep keep it to one of those per game – Lions aren't going to beat you. <laughs> if you let him run free, he picks up two or three of those a game. The Lions might sneak up and beat you. Um, so it's a pretty, I don't want to say easy, but it's a pretty tried and true strategy for opposing DCs to go. Make sure Hawk doesn't beat us over the top, right? Give him all the five-yard catches he wants and tackle and run to the ball, classic defensive stuff. But don't let him get free behind anybody because he can and that's really the only threat. And we're not super worried that Swift is going to do that more than once a game, uh, you know, in the current setup. Because, look, concentrate on those two guys and probably going to win the game. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the, the offense runs through their run game, which is one way of saying they don't really have a great quarterback or receiving <laughs> core. Um, but, <laughs> but they have a talented offensive line and they have a talented pair of backs that they can run out with who are both threats to catch out of the backfield. Um, and one of the two is also a good blocker in the backfield uh, in, in Jamal Williams. So they've, they've got, they've got some team, some team pieces that can help the offense churn, but it's not super difficult to scheme against that type of offense, you know, unless they're really dominant, like the, the Titans were with Derrick Henry. Yeah. Different level guy. I just wanted yeah. to say about Frank Ragnow that it is a shame that the Vikings didn't draft him because that is a Vikings player name. Right. And, you know, I mean, like, I cannot believe they didn't run to the podium to get Frank Ragnow on their team. But, like, I know because, like, the T-shirts would be epic. Like, I, rag, I mean, he Ragnow would sell. Rock. He Come would on. be the highest selling jersey. I'm, I, 
Dalvin Cook, no, like it would be him. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, it was just such a marketing opportunity missed by that yeah. front office. Rick Spielman, just just such a missed opportunity. But I want to, we got to let you go here soon. You got to get back to crunching more numbers. But I want to go kind of speed round with you and, you know, take take what you want to, to answer these questions. But first one for you, just real simple. At the end of the year, what would you define as a successful 2021 Lions season? Uh, 17 starts for Penny Sewell and uh, both Anzarike and McNeil making it through the season unscathed and showing the level of development they have over the first three games. And that's that's really it. Yeah. The win, okay. the win count ain't going to matter. No, I, exactly. It, it does not matter. And that's why losing a game in that fashion at the end, it's like, well, it's not bad. Stacks we kind of need to talk about the fact that the Lions have lost both times to the longest field goal that was the record broken <laughs> and the longest field goal to the record set. That's just a little freaky. It's part of the course as a Lions fan. Yeah. If there's yeah. some, if <laughs> there's some weird... It's expected. We're Lions fans. If there's um, some weird, absurd thing. Like I, I I, told people, like when that when he lined up for that kick, I, I wasn't watching with the sound on. I used to have the sound off when I'm watching games. But I wasn't trying to figure out, oh my God, they're actually going to win. I wasn't excited that the Lions could actually win it. I knew Justin Tuck was going to make that kick. He had to. I was trying to figure out what the yardage was when he made that kick because I, I didn't have the audio on. So it's like, oh crap, he's, I got to figure out what, what's this going to be because this has got to be a record. He's got to be past that 63 mark. Yeah. What about, all right, next one. Favorite Dan Campbell soundbite? Uh, whatever he does this week, he's, he's going to come up with something. <laughs> just, just reset. <laughs> He's just going to come up with some other. He's just going to top himself. So yeah, I yeah. love that answer. That's a great answer. Well, he's, he's leaned into it a lot. Yeah, I mean, sure. he, you, you saw like what, right after he had the whole kneecaps thing, he comes out with a racing helmet on because he was, he was the, the helping out with the races and stuff. And it's like, he's ready to go. He knows what he's doing. I got to tell you, I, I hope that they do hard knocks next year. Oh God. I hope so. I, 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 I want I, it I, so bad. I have never wanted it for the lions before, but I think that would be a riot. Yeah, I, I think it'd be I'm, great I'm entertainment. In. I'm in. Like that would be great entertainment because I think it would show some of what we were all just talking about, which is yeah, you're gonna get all the the hijinks mm-hmm. and that's fine, but that's like ten percent. You're gonna get that this is somebody that is well rooted in positional developmental football, who's building a team, and you're gonna get to see that. It's gonna be almost impossible to ignore with the way they do hard knocks, come away and not go. Oh, oh. <laughs> should we be worrying about the Lions? And the right. answer is, if you watch last year's draft and they do that again and they continue, like you said, as they have in the early going, yeah, yeah, you should. Like, it, the marker's out there, but it's coming. So, yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely. I think that's like you pull them in, you pull viewers in because of this, like, crazy head coach and then all of a sudden coffee. Like, oh yeah yeah you, you show the like starbucks routine that's like episode one but all right i've always i've always been curious about this because as a bears fan you're taught that your favorite team is the bears and your second favorite team is whoever is playing the green bay packers that week and so i'm curious from like i like to ask vikings fans this question and lions fan this question is like who is your most hated division rival you know i i, I hate to say it because of where i'm at but it's got to be the bears for me um as far as like on the field, I hated, I hate playing the backers. We hate playing the backers. They always get the best calls. You know, you mentioned the kicks. We also had the longest, we also had the longest. We're familiar with that that phenomenon. 
We also have the Lions had the longest Hail Mary completed, which was Aaron Rodgers a couple of years back, where he, the play before that, he had a, a face mask call against the Lions, and it was just him faking it. The guy, it was, uh, he didn't even, touch his, didn't even touch his face mask. But Aaron Rodgers did that whole jerk with his neck, and he gets that call, and it's Aaron Rodgers. He gets that call, you know. Uh, but I've had a, a very unique relationship with Packers fans over the last couple of years because Brian Gutekirst is very, very into analytics from an athletic standpoint. And we always joke about it because the, the idea is that he either uses my system or his system is so close to it that it's it's impossible to distinguish between him because he picks high-res guys all the time. Every one of his players that he picks is some superb, ridiculous athlete. And the couple of times he hasn't, they've been bad picks. You know, they cut a, a third round tight end just recently and never drafted on athletic tight end. Just don't, <laughs> don't do it. But they did. They, they had a private workout with him and they liked his numbers. So they, they brought him in and he didn't do anything for him and they cut him. But it's, it's the Packers fans tend to like my metrics and I have a lot of interactions with them over the season. Uh, Bears fans, we've always had that love-hate relationship. And part of it is just that Lions have stunk a lot of times, and the Bears have also stunk a lot of times. So we've went back and forth. We've got steamrolled by the Vikings and the, the Packers for a long time. But the Bears and Lions fans, we've both been up and down. And whenever you have that type of dynamic and you get to enjoy the wins and you get to hate the losses – and you get to pile them up one way and the other, I think that leads to a better rivalry when it's not one-sided. Well, the last decade, they split 10, 10 games, 10 games. There was there were long streaks. Uh, Bears in the early part of the, 2000, uh, the 2010s, I guess, and then you guys had the longest streak, and then the Bears came charging back to like finish 10-10. and 10. So um, I will say that the all-time series is incredibly lopsided, Kent. I'm not going to let you come on oh, the Bears over Beers and make it seem <laughs> like this is a 50-50 split. <laughs> The all-time split is not pretty for your. Practice. I'm not That's that old. I don't. I don't get to celebrate. <laughs> I don't get to celebrate the Lions' championship wins from the '50s. So I don't oh, have to worry. No. I, I, I don't do, have to worry I about the Bears celebrate Bears championship wins either. from '40s though. So. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that, that's yours, EJ. I'll yeah, let, yeah. Most consistent college football strength and conditioning staff. Who gets the most out of their players in regards to testing in your eyes? It's Penn State, easily. Yep. <laughs> um, easily Penn State. Um, uh, now, because it's such a very obvious conclusion, I mean, that's, that's a little unfair to just say, yeah, obviously it's Penn State, and that's not fun. So uh, BYU is another one that doesn't get a lot of credit. Uh, Brigham Young has had a great strength and conditioning program for years, and they tend to churn out a lot of really good athletes coming out of that, that program every year. Um, it's not as high profile as, as Penn State, even though they look damn near the same, and I always get their players con confused because of that. Um, ah, I love it when people admit that. Because is, everybody that I know that's in this game, everybody that I know that mm -hmm. watches college football or has an interest in the draft, has a couple of teams. Like I've had this conversation directly with multiple people. The most high profile one's probably Danny Kelly. And I just, Danny lives locally and, you know, pretty locally. And, and we go back and forth. And I was like, Danny, who are your two teams that you just cannot tell apart or that you always screw up? Um, and everybody has those teams. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you. I don't, I don't struggle with BYU Penn State, but I, I have my very own struggles. And so does everybody else. Mm -hmm. Everybody will admit. Everybody. Um, so that's another good one. And then Ferris State is not a name that you would normally oh, yeah. be associated with that. But Ferris State has had a really good record in terms of churning out really good athletes. Uh, you don't get a lot of guys going to the combine. 
Um, it's mostly at their yeah. pro day. And I know people like to discount pro day numbers, uh, but pro day numbers are not as far apart in general as people like to make it out to be. And Ferris State's turned out a whole bunch of really good athletes. Over yeah, they the had the guy, uh, um, the defensive tackle plays for the Bills, right? Uh, Zimmer, I think his name was. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they had the ridiculous testing. They made that him a fullback a for a little monster. while. Monster. Justin and Zimmer. And he's still on their roster. You know, that was mm-hmm. a guy that was like, okay, again. Um, and it's interesting you bring up BYU because BYU may not have the sort of overall success that Penn State has. But if you look at the categories that matter for the players at their position, yep. relative to position, they do really well, especially, you know, their defensive tackles, right? That Those guys are stout. Right. Yeah. Their linebackers can run like it's it's uh, it's nuanced to position, which I think is is really, really valuable. So and then, JB, you got the last one. Last one. And we talked before we started recording. And you said you're you haven't been drinking a ton of beer lately, but I love Michigan beer because they do stouts really well. And so I was curious to ask a Mich- Michigander what you felt the best Michigan brewery was. Yeah, and I don't have a really good answer for you just because I, I don't I don't drink beer anymore. Um, I used to quite a bit and then I, I stopped and just kind of lost the taste for it. So I don't I don't really drink beer anymore. But Michigan has such a storied history with with their brewing. You know, it's it's really hard to lose when you go out and, and drink some Michigan beer. You don't get a lot of bad beer. I lived in Texas for some amount of time. I lived in Florida. Uh, I've lived all over the country and well, the eastern part of the country. But like it's amazing to me how consistent Michigan beer is in general. Uh, when I lived in Texas, I had some really good beer and I also had some of the worst garbage beer I've had in my life. I bought a 24 case one time um, down in Texas and I drank part of one and it was so bad. It was so bad that I, I couldn't finish the first beer and I, I, uh, it must have just been me not knowing because I just put the case outside. I was like, somebody's going to pick it up and drink it. And no Some, one took it. There's going to be a homeless guy who comes by and he's like, oh, free beer. No, free beer. It, it sat out there for like eight They days. knew. They'd yeah, tried they that knew. free beer before. That's yeah. a, I it love that story. That's amazing. But so, you don't get that in Michigan. Michigan, everything's, everything's at yeah. least okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I, I would say the Austin brewing scene, because that Austin is largely my experience in Texas, a little bit DFW, but mostly Austin. The Austin brewing scene is awesome. Uh, but yeah, there are those like wander outside the envelope at your own <laughs> risk. And uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry you had to. But where can folks find your stuff? Kent, go ahead and plug your work, your website, everything that people need to know. Yeah, you can find me, like you mentioned before, I'm on Twitter, at MathBomb. I'm always accessible on Twitter. I love interacting with fans and talking football and, and looking at different things or finding different trends. Um, I also have my website at ras.football. Very easy to find, easy to remember name. Uh, you can actually go there and look up any player from the last uh, 36 years, from 1987 all the way to 2021. Um, if I have their metrics, they're probably on there, except for Pat O'Donnell. Got to add his. Um <laughs> We will retweet that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also over at Pro Football Network. I do applications development for Pro Football Network. Um, You're not going to recognize that most of the stuff that I do is there, but I do a lot of stuff that's pretty visual there. Uh, But the biggest thing that I am is I'm I'm in charge of the mock draft simulator at Pro Football Network. So if you go to profootballnetwork.com slash mock draft, you can try out a mock draft. We update it every week. Um, I'm actually supposed to be updating it today. Uh, we update our player rankings and all that fun stuff. Uh, we we cover football 
college football every single week and talk about it every single week. And we make those rankings updated to try to keep up on everything. Um, another fun thing that I love to talk about on Twitter, if you want to hit me up there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of that extremely busy schedule to come on, talk a little lions with us, have some fun, uh, tolerate our, our more humorous questions, but, uh, we'd love to have you on again. Thanks so much. And, um, I really, really appreciate it. Oh man. I had a blast, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, EJ, we're back. Awesome guest. Thank you for lining that up. That was so cool to talk about it because I really respect people that grind the tape. And then as a guy that like kind of leans towards stats, I'm kind of more like Kent, right? Like where I want to take the numbers and, and crunch them and visualize them, but I, I don't get it as into the draft, obviously, as you guys do. And so when I found his work, I was like, here it is. Here's the cheat code for me. Here's my in. You're right. So that I can like look at these guys and be like, well, yeah, look at look at his scores. Like this, this guy's testing off the charts or, ooh, you know, this, I'm not really a big fan of drafting an unathletic tight end, right? Those are things that, you know, you know, but like here's a cheat sheet. Right. So, so Ken's stuff is incredibly valuable. And that was really cool for him to come on as a Lions fan and just a guy that knows football, talks about football a lot. So, really appreciate him taking the time. And we took way more of his time than we said we would, but like cool of him to stick that out. Super great. That was great. Yeah. 
But we have to talk about the other side of this, which is the Chicago Bears, who are currently in a bit of an existential crisis right now because of what happened last week. And obviously, we've 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 talked about that a lot, but it is going to be a recurring theme with Matt Nagy and what's happening right now with him. And so I, you know, I went out and I bought tickets to this game a couple of weeks ago because I was so sure that Justin Fields was going to be on the field in week four. Which I'd forgotten about that. Like it's still gonna happen, right? <laughs> like I no, I know. So so my best oh, friend and I are man. going to this. You know, we're 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 making it a thing. It's gonna we're we're gonna do it. Justin Fields, I'm putting it out in the universe. It's still gonna be Justin Fields starting. We are gonna have a good time. We're gonna cheer for Justin Fields. We're gonna cheer for the players. We're you know, we're gonna be there for this team. But we have to talk about this, what Matt Nagy has to do here to, to bounce back. I'm not sure. How re- how possible it is for him to redeem himself uh, this week because everybody came after him. Everybody, yeah. national no. media guys, like because the spotlight was shown because Justin Fields got the start, and everybody dove into this tape and everybody exposed the issues that Matt Nagy had in calling this offense. Yeah, and if there's a silver lining which it's hard to pull out of a loss like that. Uh, it's hard to pull out, you know, your your top round pick getting the snot beat out of him. The offensive line not looking cohesive. Like, that's the nicest way I can say that. The receiver's not separating. There's plenty of blame to go around. But you and I have talked about Nagy's limitations as a play caller, not necessarily a play designer and not a head coach. Those are three different roles. And I think as a play designer, he could be okay. As a head coach, I actually think he's really good, and I'm not opposed to him keeping that post. Play caller, on the other hand, which is where we've given him the lowest marks and the most, I would say, warranted friction, he can't touch it again. You're talking about resurrection. You're talking about whether or not he can you know, pull this out of the fire. The answer is he cannot. It's so bad and has been so bad. Like the silver lining is Justin Fields' star is bright enough that everybody peaked, right? right? Everybody looked in on a bad team and went, whoa, that's not only bad, that's words like negligent, obstinate, uh, clueless. These are all words that have been applied to Nagy's game plan, and they're not wrong. Like I think those are fair assessments. A lot of times it's pile-on season, and people just want to pile on to pile on for clicks or ratings or whatever. It's not unwarranted. What Matt Nagy did was professionally, from a professional standpoint, being a professional head coach and an offensive coordinator, horrible, like abjectly by every measure, horrible, not enough. It's not like he came up with a great plan and the players didn't execute. He came up with a terrible plan and the players didn't execute. So you got what you got, but now you have a very intense spotlight on Nagy and this entire situation and you have what I called last night on bootleg, the most valuable asset in Chicago sports, and people are vested in how he gets treated. Um, and if it continues like this, it's not going to go well for Matt Nagy. He's he's going to lose that battle, that balance really, really quickly, if he already hasn't. So what he needs to do is give up play calling. And from what we know about Matt Nagy, he's too stubborn to do it. So it's yeah. a rock. And a hard place. And I don't think there's a good way out. And the ending's going to be messy. 
Yeah, I, you know, we again, we've talked about this for a while. This is not the first time we've talked about it. We we had a whole show last year talking about head coaching candidates because we were so sure that this mm. this leadership group was going to get sweeped out. But there were times in that game Sunday where there's all these procedure issues. They're you know they're they're not using enough pre snap motion, so they're not following the trends of the league. He's not really picking up on any sort of analytics that a lot of other coaches are. Right, like he's he had fourth and one inside the five yard line on the road as a heavy underdog trailing. And he kicked a field goal. Like you don't do that. Like that, that is not what, what this league is in 2021, this league. Sure. If you were coaching in the 1980s, no one would have questioned that, but that's not yeah. where it is right now. And, and so there's just not a lot of things that he, it feels like he's not only he's not cutting edge, which clearly he's, he's not even hitting the average. And like not even close. Not That's even the close. Piece, is not all even these close. Naggy defenders are like, oh, well, he's and you're like, no, ob- objectively, right. from a numbers perspective, he's not. And he's not even close. Like you can say benefit of the doubt and and injuries and a lot of things that aren't in the head coach's control. Over time, 50 plus games now. He's not even close to average. He's well below. I threw up a very simple graph for my stats article this week. I I, I basically made a, a two by two matrix, which is my favorite thing to do because it's simple and it helps just show something very basic. And all I did was I, I put the dividing lines at the average game of passing, which is 240 yards from 2020 league wide data, 240 yard passing game and a 120 yard rushing game. And I plotted the 51 Nagy games on that two by two matrix. And in the upper right-hand corner, which is where a game that you would have exceeded the averages of both, seven out of 51 were these really good games. On the lower left, which is the bad end of it, which is where he couldn't hit 120 rushing yards or 240 passing yards. Right. So it's just a bad, bad game. He had 20. 20 of the 51 were terrible games, right? And then it gets, to me, it gets worse when you just flip it on its side. Running games... 23 out of 51, he was above average. Uh, 28 out of 51 is below. Not good, but like it's not, not like the worst. Like it's yeah. below the middle line, but it's like, eh, I mean, it's bad, right? It's like a C minus D plus kind of thing. Passing games, 15 out of 51 of his games were below the 240 mark. I mean, that is an F. That is that is terrible. That is failing. And this is a guy who is an offensive coach, is an offensive head coach. It's it's completely unacceptable, and there there is that the point is we we try to be balanced in the approach and give players, give coaches, give GMs enough time to say like, hey, this is what they do well. We're not going to judge off of one season, one game, whatever. Like we we want to judge them over their body of work. We have a body of work. The results are in. They are terrible, and this is what happens when you bring a guy like this back. But now you're talking about messing with the most valuable athlete in Chicago right now who everybody has bought into like this, this guy has, I mean, uh, a 99.9% approval rating, right? Like, because you know, nothing's a hundred, but everybody loves this kid. Everybody loves Justin Fields. I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see Justin Fields. I'm excited to see Akeem Hicks. I'm excited to see Khalil Mack play a football game, a winnable football game against a, a, a talent, a team that lacks a lot of talent, right? This is a team that's that's resetting in the Lions. So from a talent perspective, 
the Bears should be able to win this game. But Nagy has to get out of his own way if this offense has any chance of succeeding. Yeah, and everybody hoped that the impromptu press conference today, again, we're recording on a Wednesday, uh, was going to be him coming out and saying, okay, mea culpa, I get it. I'm going to turn it over to Bill Lazor, who had success last year. Uh, it may take a couple weeks, but we're going to see improvement. Like, I'm going to do what's necessary for the good of the Chicago Bears. And instead, he came out and said, no, nope, it's an internal matter. We're not going to say who's in charge, which was such a miss. And it just, again, speaks to me that the ego is still there. He still believes he's extremely good at this when everything, all the ob objective data says he's not really good at this. In fact, he's well below average most of the time. That's a that's a handicap for your team. I don't care what kind of talent you have. If you are going to come out and be unable to meet those league averages on average or below, right, or only meet those league averages a third or a quarter of the time, you're starting behind the eight ball every game. Everything has to go right. You have to get turnovers. You have to live in possession. Like everything has to go right. And obviously that's not been happening. And that's reflected in the Bears record. So he really needed to show some culpability. He really needed to show some honestness, some honest approach, some self-awareness. And he didn't show any of it. And that gives me not zero hope going forward, but my hope is now twisted into something pessimistic, which is he's going to continue to drive this into the ground. And then everybody's going to go, that's it. Get him out. Right. Because the Bears don't fire coaches midseason. They never have. They're going to fire him at the end of the year if they fire him. And, and if he's going to stack performances like this, <laughs> I was going to say it won't be hard. I'm going to say it shouldn't be hard to, at that point, make a fair assessment that the only way to win is to get this guy gone because he won't let go of the reins. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a couple of things other than that, because that I is, would love to. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Great. So one of the things that I would really like to see on Sunday is that these wide receivers try to make something happen. And I know that the scheme has not put them in the best positions to succeed. I, I'm still really irritated with Marquise Goodwin for not coming back to that ball, um, you know, it, just stopping his route and allowing that to be broken up. But these wide receivers have to step up. They have to start doing something. The the, the three three games. We're not even talking about the, the Cleveland game was you know the 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 one that everybody's talking about. Three terrible game plans to start the year. I mean, this is or non-existent game plans. Like they've been all bad, and it was masked in the second game against the Bengals because the defense took over and won the game. Yeah. And and that I mean, it's Bears football that happens. But I we have zero explosive plays from this passing offense in three games. Zero. In three games, like it is unbelievable. There is just absolutely nothing happening. And some of that's wide receivers. Like they are just, they're not running the routes. I get a scheme, blah, blah, blah. But they've had opportunities. They've had the ball in their hands to have, to have explosive plays. And they're not getting it done. And so these guys have to step up too. They have to help out their young quarterback. You know, these things snowball. Like you could see that it just sort of unraveled for fields when it wasn't working. And, you know, that, that fourth quarter was painful to watch because it was just him just kind of running into a brick wall. But these wide receivers have to make some plays here. So I, I'm, I'm kind of challenging, <laughs> putting that out in the universe and challenging those wide receivers to step up, help their young quarterback, make some plays. Yeah, and it's not a bad week to have to do that. We just talked with Ken about the lack of corners, the fact that Akuda, who was their top pick and and a 
extremely talented corner in college, had a really rough rookie year, was more on the coaching staff, obviously didn't mesh with them and, and by all accounts received very little coaching. Looked like he was improving and coming back. That was that made me feel good because I looked at Jeff Akuda as a prospect and said, whoo, he's really good. He blows his Achilles out. He's gone. Um, and so they're going against an undermanned secondary. They should have some opportunity for separation. They're not going against world beaters in, in the Detroit secondary. Now, you have to pair that with a little bit of protection as a former offensive lineman. You know this, right? If you're giving fields, like I counted uh, on some of his sacks, I timed them. Uh, just watching the replay on full speed. And yeah, it was 2.5 to 2.6 seconds until he got touched. But for the full second before that happened, he knew that touch was coming. I mean, the influence of that guy walking backwards towards you and Miles Garrett reaching over him, you know it's coming. You see that out of the corner of your eye or straight out of your eyes if you're turned to that direction. So that means you have 1.6 seconds to make a decision, right? There's not a lot of routes that are fully developed at 1.6 seconds, like a three yard slant. Like that might be fully, you know, at a point where you can throw it at 1.6 seconds. But if you look at time to throw or, you know, time to release more specifically, very few quarterbacks in the NFL are hitting 1.6. And I'm talking about the Brady's and the, and the Aaron Rodgers of the world. It takes yeah, you're taking the snap and throwing it. Like there's yeah, no, like right. immediately. And if there's right. no separation, so separation's one thing, a little bit of protection to go with it. That means some mixed protections. It doesn't have to, it's not about five man. It's about being effective, right? So if you need to pull somebody in to change it up, if you need to roll it out, if you need to run some RPO to get them thinking about the fact that, hey, Montgomery's gashed us a couple of times to just make them hesitate to get that, you know, quarter second, half second window where you can throw again, fairly short games. I'm not looking for seven step drops and 50 yard bombs be great, but I'm not expecting that after last week. It needs to work in concert, and everybody needs to play a little bit better. Yes, starting with the wide receivers, but the O-line has got to be not what it was on Sunday because, oh, boy. I don't think I've seen a worse game from an offensive line. It and, and I mean, like, really it looked wasn't, like a high school game that was just had, where, like, like you've got no like a two-way team that for some reason is playing the four-way team and yep. just like mismatch of talent level. It was – it, it it was the, the scheme didn't help things like they never chipped Garrett. They never gave Peters any help. They never, you know, there were just wasn't a lot of scheme help either, but even saying that nobody on that line had a redeemable game. Like, no. I mean, nobody like, was everywhere. I looked, it was just horror show yeah. the whole time. And jailbreak, it, jailbreak, jailbreak. It, it, yeah. It wasn't like one guy beat, uh, an offensive lineman on one play and then the next play there no it was like there were three guys there was a picture from where three bears offensive linemen are looking at fields on the ground and there's you know three browns you know all around him and it's like it, you know there was some other stuff like where a browns player was helping fields i think it was Mont garrett like helping him up after a sack even Garrett started to feel bad for Fields yeah, at some like, point, right? No, it, this was the worst offensive line performance I think I've just ever seen in an NFL game. Those guys have to bounce back. Like, they're going to see yeah. that on film. They're getting beat up all week uh, about that performance. They have to bounce back. They have to have pride in their game. They, this is not the Cleveland Browns. They should have an opportunity to do that. But hopefully, it's also a wake-up call to say, Let's give these guys some help when they need it. 
Yeah, and let's let him run block a little bit, right? As an offensive yeah, lineman, start going if downhill. If you're just absorbing punishment, if you're just going backwards all game, it's tiresome, right? Because when you make a mistake, it's going to be highly publicized. That's a sack, right? You miss a run block. Okay, maybe you get three yards instead of the five or seven you should have, right? But it's not so bad. And you're getting to deal the punishment, right? Uh, my other podcast partner made the, the point last night that run blocking recharges an offensive line, right? I get to go light into this guy. It, it just changes the dynamic. I'm not taking, I'm now giving, right? And it starts to roll and you get to start to hopefully impose your will, move some people around. That's what gets offensive linemen charged up. You say, hey, for the next 50 snaps, I'm going to make you go backwards and just have guys pound into your chest. It's not good. So they are going to have to get back to some of that. I'm just going to call it magic because over the last two weeks, we haven't seen it. But that first week against LA, great defensive line. Nobody expected him to do well. David Montgomery ran really well in that game. And everybody was like, wow, check it out. Again, a little bit of first week jitters and adjustment. But since then, like terrible, right? He No openings, no rushing success. So let's get back to that again. We're not going against the Cleveland Browns. You should have some opportunities to open some holes, get some rolls going, get those guys going forward. And then if you want them to say, hey, we're going to go to some RPO game, half of you get to run block, half of you get to pass block. It's going to be a little bit more balanced. Yeah, I, you know, as an offensive lineman from way back when, I always liked the pass blocking. It was kind of fun, right? Like from a technique wise, I liked it. I loved run blocking. Yeah, right. I loved just firing off you know the snap count and you are it's you pushing somebody off of that spot that's the point and there there's something like if you are an offensive lineman and you have made it all the way to the professional level that is almost something that you have to love that's why you keep doing it it's not a reward you know okay fine financially at the professional level sure it's it's fine (laughs) but like it's not like you're doing it for front page headlines right you're not a running back you're not a quarterback you're not a wide receiver you have to have this weird love of just like i am gonna push you off your spot and that's why you keep coming back because it's fun like if if you're able to do that as particularly if you happen to be going against a guy that's bigger than you and you get the right technique and you start pushing him back like that is fun and you get him on the ground man like, I mean, you're really talking fun. about that for, you know, did yeah. you see that block that I made? Everybody's like, no, I don't watch the line, but that's, yeah. you know, film you know. fun. Yeah. You yeah, know, and, and, and your buddies you know, s- you start to get a little bit of duo on the inside, right? You start working with your line mates and feeling like we're supporting each other. And you start pushing some of those high round tackles that, that, that the Detroit Lions have inside around because look, Onwazurike is a great player. Uh, but he is more of that fire through type of player. He is more of that penetrator and he, he, he's not, uh, unfamiliar with double teams because in, in the scheme he played at UW, they kind of misused him in a three man line and he saw a lot of double teams and a guy like that's really going to excel if you can get him one-on-one or get him in a single gap type system. So he can hold up, but if you start moving that guy, you know, you get, two guys on him and you start moving him and Montgomery goes through his gap. That's the kind of thing that the bears could have some build and it's not negative plays, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. all about the, how many plays on the play sheet do we have negatives? Do we have positives? And, and I'll take the three, three and a half yard runs against Detroit. If you're moving them, if you're imposing your will, if Montgomery's beaten into guys and running like a, you know, water Buffalo, that's about to get pulled down. Like he always does. 
I'll take that because it's not sacks. It's not tackles for losses, right? It does build that, hey, we've got some positive momentum here. And I think it's so critical that the Bears get on that roll early and are able to sort of push that through. Yeah, and on the other side of the ball, I mean, it feels like this defense is coming together a little bit. I think I thought they played pretty well. They got worn down. Cleveland's a good offense. I mean, we we certainly talked about that last week, and they're really good at running the ball. That's what we're talking about, right? Like, eventually, over time, they just sort of impose their will, and eventually that defense got worn out. I mean, the time of possession differential was was crazy. I think on defense, though, this is Jared Goff, right? Like, this is not – uh, this is not a guy that you're particularly worried about. You've played him well in the past. You know the key to beating Gar- Jared Goff is take the ball away from him. <laughs> He'll give it to you. He's yeah, when he throws it, catch right. it. He's he's gonna he's gonna give you opportunities. And so you're probably going. You know, this is old school Bears football, or at least old school to us, right? Where Bears defense is probably going to have to find a way to put the offense in favorable positions if they can get one in the end zone that's going to help a lot if it's the end zone that i'm sitting in that'll be even better but um you know <laughs> if roquan wants to throw the ball up to me like whatever right like oh, you sure know, whatever yeah, just just so happened you know just just you know no i I'm think there. lost in last week's absolute drubbing uh on the offensive side is that the bears played brilliantly on defense like sean decides defense played really really well they just lost when they got worn out but this game was tight this is a one score game largely uh no no defense can hold up that long right like that's but they held up a long time versus again what we said was a real what is a really good offense one of the best offensive lines in the league baker's playing well they're running back stable super well chronicled yeah they were down on some wide receiver talent but they weren't bereft at the wide receiver position and it was that game was sub 10 points like for a long time didn't ever feel like that because the offense had no shot but the defense held up their end of the bargain well into the third quarter that game was extremely winnable then they just tired out time of possession differential they wore down and that was the end of it but through three quarters like the size defense played as well as it has all season if they do that against a less talented Lions squad it's going to help give the ball back to Justin Fields and hopefully an offense that can do something with it. Yeah. Back-to-back good performances that, you know, the Bengals bounce back and they looked good in week three, they won their game. And so you hope that that week one against the, honestly, the buzzsaw that is the Rams, like for sure, you know, I, this was not hyperbole when I was like, I think the Rams are probably going to be in the championship game. They've got a really good chance to be in the Super Bowl. Like I, you know, this is the team that I was most worried about and the bears have to start on the road against LA against a team that's just so excited to like play with a new toy in Matthew Stafford. So if Sean decided learned a lot from that game and then can kind of move on and put that behind him and this defense can, can again lead this team, maybe we will get that like better defensive performance that we've been looking for. So let's leave it there. Let's, let's circle back to the, to the beers well or the drinks since I didn't bring a beer. Yeah. I, I, I mean, all right. I don't know if anybody's going to run out and buy a bottle of Bronca Menta, um, this Mr. Black coffee liqueur. That you you might have a local one that you like. I bought this online and they delivered it to my house. Uh, that was kind of cool. So it's like an Australia, uh, you know, owned company Product of Australia. Um, but like, I, they ha- I think they have a place here in the U.S. that that'll ship it. I mean, it's good. I'm still learning how to use it. But if you combine that with with something like 
what I did with the Bronco Menta, and then I put a little kick in it. I mean, this is a this is a good drink. This is fun. I like I'm it. all for it. I, I like everything in it. Like I like I like mint. I like yeah. bourbon. Like coffee. Like a little bit of cream. Well, I knew sure. you'd like the coffee drink, so I figured yeah, I figured that was I, an easy sell. I it's it sounds good. So if we meet up, I'm I'm definitely gonna have you make me one. Um, sure. the Ridgetop Red, uh, one of my favorites locally. It, it's got a really nice balance. It does. Uh, if you like reds, it does have that deep red color. It's got a little bit of caramely flavor to it but it also has that little bite of a red it's really well balanced crafted uh not a ton of alcohol i think it's five something or six something by by volume so you know a good solid microbrew but not something that's going to put you under the weather if you drink you know a couple while you're sitting around the campfire it's just a really solid beer so i you know i did the play on words with feeling red or seeing red about Nagy's performance but i i just like drinking rich top red it's good stuff well so, we've got awesome stuff going on but like one thing we want to talk about is the youtube page so we're recording these this season we're throwing these up on youtube also throwing up the other podcasts that i'm doing with lester wiltfong which is the baron balance so you can find those if you're a youtube fan even if you're not a youtube fan it'd be cool if you went there and just subscribed because that's helps us out you know we hear a lot like how can we help you out how can we support you that's one thing obviously reviewing the podcast when you city gridiron podcast or <clears throat> or, or going on and, and giving favorable uh, reviews to the on the YouTube page. The other thing is we will have this Patreon set up here in the very near future. EJ and I are going to finalize the final details tonight after we record. So by the time that you hear this, it will be ready to go and we will be rocking and rolling on the Patreon. So if you are interested in that, again, many thank yous in advance. That is really cool for considering even doing that. Um, but we will have that ready to go. And we are excited for some of the stuff that we have planned for that. We've been talking uh, about how we're going to support that Patreon. We are really excited to to engage with you guys on that level. So be looking for that. And EJ, what, what else do you got going on? Uh, bootleg will probably will definitely be out by the time that this podcast lands. Um, this one's going on, uh, Patreon also going up for the bootleg site. So it's a big Patreon week, uh, a lot of development there, but uh, anybody that's considering that on either front, uh, I'll just echo what JB said. The idea that anybody would even consider that to me is still sort of head spinning. And I can't thank folks enough for saying what you do is valuable enough to me that I want to support it monetarily, financially. Um, that's just a great thing. So those are the big ones. Uh, other than that, it's going ahead. It's going ahead. We're in the middle of the season. Great games are rolling off. Um, we're going to do a live stream, a bootleg live stream on Saturday. We're going to have hopefully a, a very nice guest. Uh, really close to finalizing that. We're, we're just not saying who it is in case they have to back out. Uh, very busy person. But somebody, if you're into draft stuff or if you knew who Math Bomb was, uh, you will be interested in this guest. So uh, we'll have details about that. Check them out on Twitter. Uh, I'll probably put a notice up on the bootleg page. But like Jeff said, uh, like the podcast, review the podcast wherever you listen to it. Uh, if you check it out on YouTube, absolutely subscribe. It's free and it helps us uh, with the algorithm, helps us get seen, um, helps us be able to build more content is is really what it comes down to so can't thank you enough for all that support no matter how you listen watch engage um really glad to have you along and uh, there's more coming
Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.